G'day, everyone, and welcome back to the Breeder Exchange podcast, proudly brought to you by Breeder Genetics, of course, and I'm your host, Sam Parrish. We've got a jam-packed episode ahead for another one of our industry exchanges. I'm uh, definitely stoked to be talking to some very big professionals within the beef industry. Joining me in the hot seat will also be a co-host, so I'll jump in the studio and introduce everyone now. Well, joining me in the studio here is the co-host today is Jack Laurie, the man himself from Bridge Addicts. Thank you for joining us, Jack. No worries. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me back on. No, it's awesome. And, and we really enjoy these industry exchanges. And joining us today on our industry exchange is a very professional uh, and a person that knows a lot about this industry and a lot about uh, Australian agriculture and joining us. Jack, would you like to introduce our, our guest today? He's, uh, he's a very reputable man within the industry. Yeah, sure, Sam. Now, really excited for our guest today. We've got uh, Dr. Cedric Wise of Sedwise Artificial Breeders. Um, Ced's been in the artificial breeding game uh, for, for over 40 years and has a wealth of knowledge and and some might regard as, you know, one of the godfathers of reproductive work in, in Australia and super, super excited to have Set on here today to dive into all things reproduction and, you know, it's really timely as we move into coming up to our spring breeding and, you know, I think it's really timely that we have Sed here today. So, Sed, mate, welcome on. Thanks for, thanks for joining Sam and I in the studio today. Uh, very welcome, Jack and Sam. It's uh, great to chat to you guys. No, awesome. And Seti, you have a, um, a very special relationship with both Jack and myself. I know, Jack, uh, you had Seti at your place growing up, and I had the, had the pleasure of working with Seti for I don't know, 12, oh, nearly two years uh, when I was up in Queensland working at uh, Sedwise Artificial Breeders. So, Seti, you mean a lot to both of us, and um, we really appreciate you joining on. Do you want to start, Seti, with uh, a bit of your, your history and, and who Sedwise is for us, uh, for our listeners? Yeah, sure, Sam. Um, it, it's not a great long history. <laughs> I uh, born, born and raised on a dirt, dirt farm in, in Stantop, still live there, so I've been been nowhere, done nothing really, but um, I, I was lucky enough to graduate vet school in 76. Um, more fortunate probably to um, get a job that was in the middle of the Beast Depression and, and was very fortunate to get a job um, at Miller Wells and Guard in Warwick. Uh, which the lead veterinarian there was uh, a fellow called Sid Miller, who was a really was uh, a pioneer in in the sheep and cattle reproduction industries. Uh, from there, uh, with Sid's guidance, I went to Colorado State University to study embryo transfer. It was still in its infancy at that time, and worked in the um, in the reproduction lab uh, there for four years before coming home and um, doing embryo transfer in my own right uh, ever since. 84, yeah. And that, that's, that's been my life ever since, really. Uh, embryo transfer and s- semen collection in, in cattle and, and uh, testing bulls, which I'm doing today. But So anything to do with reproduction in the cattle has, has been my life for, for the last 40-odd years, yeah. And, and, for, uh, and for yourself, you, you mentioned your time in the States. Can you uh, give our listeners a bit of a, a history talk on, on reproduction, especially within that embryo transfer area and AI, obviously, Semen collection, AI, and embryo transfer work works directly with uh, the breed genetics business, uh, with with the industry that we're in. So, can you give us a bit of a history there of uh, a bit of reproduction over the years? When did the first uh, you know, ET work start happening, and, and how did that all plan pan out? That's that's a good question. The, um, it started in in the, in the mid seventies, I think, um, and. Uh, uh, at, at those days, it was a surgical procedure on the donors. So the donors were anaesthetised, the uterus was exteriorised, and uh, uh, the embryos flushed out. Um, and uh, that that meant that we, we got a lot of scar tissue as a result of that, and one or two flushes was all we could get out of those donors, and they more often than not were rendered sterile as a result of the surgical procedure. Um yeah. From there, uh, an Australian guy, actually, Peter Elson, um, started to develop the non-surgical technique um, and was lured to Colorado State to advance those techniques under, with with the guidance of the world-famous reproductive physiologist called uh, George Seidel, Dr. George Seidel. And those, those two teamed up to make an awesome team to develop embryo transfer as we know it today um, and and, and 
brought it to commercial re- uh, reality, really. And so it was those two guys that I studied under for four years and um, uh, learned an enormous amount about it. It was an exciting time because we didn't really know a lot about embryo transfer at all in those times, and uh, we did a lot of the experiments to prove what we now call, you know, everybody knows it now, but in those days nobody knew it, and, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was an exciting, exciting time. Yeah, it really was. So, yeah, that, that's, and- that's embryo transfer. So that was in the 1980s, early 80s, it become um, uh, a commercially accepted um, technique for the uh, advanced reproduction in um, in, in the cow, um, and and your grandfather Don Anderson was instrumental in getting that going through with Sid Miller really in, in Australia. Um, he, he forced the issue. He was the one that uh, made us go and learn about this non surgical technique. Yeah, so um, yeah. your history in this goes back a ways too. Sam. <laughs> That's the go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so yeah. said. Can you talk us through the surgical procedures? Do you remember getting your first ET calf? And can you tell us what that was like? Oh, hell yeah. I certainly can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I can remember embryos um, better than I can remember anything else. <laughs> so, well, I see a lot of them. But, yeah, they, when, when I say the surgical technique, Jack, that was a surgical collection of the embryos out of the donor. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've never, other than in experimental work at Colorado State University. I haven't done that in, in any commercial field. I, I did surgical transfers uh, for many, many, many years and only stopped doing it maybe five or six years ago, uh, really. Uh, but in, in the surgical transfer was to um, place the egg in the recipient uh, via a, uh, a flank laparotomy, which we um, performed on, on the on the recipient cow on which whatever side she ovulated on. So if she ovulated on the right side, we, we'd make a an incision in the right flank. Uh, if she ovulated on the left side, we'd go to the left flank. And this exteriorised the uterine horn that was ipsilateral to the to the corpus luteum. Put a little hole in it, and uh, with a catheter, just place your egg in that uterine horn. So that that was the surgical technique. Now it's all done non-surgically, which is like AI. But we still have to place the egg in the top third of the uterine horn, ipsilateral to the corpus luteum. But we do that now by going taking a catheter through the cervix and up through to the to that tip of the uterine horn. Yeah, so that that's the that's the difference. And your first calf, mate, did you ever have a name for him or do you remember it being born? Uh, no, 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 I don't, but it, it was a pole hereford calf at Inverary Pole, pole Herefords, owned by Don Anderson. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, well, there you I, go. I, 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 remember, I remember a lot of them, but I don't really say I could remember that one. No, I remember a, um, a C-grade embryo that we transferred at Inverary years ago that um, – Made over a hundred thousand uh, dollars at a sale in Barry Finden, yeah, and and uh, more recently uh, a Telpara Hills Bull, the Brangus Bull, uh, Van Dam. That was a C grade egg too that made one hundred ten thousand. So those sort of ones we remember. Remember a lot of uh, very high priced Brahmin bulls that we created at uh, Lansfield Brahmins too. Um, that uh, are memorable. And yeah. And so you talked about there about the grade. Can you explain what you mean by a C-grade egg for our listeners? Yeah. Um, it's simply based on the morphology of the egg. So uh, and the eggs that we collect are seven days old, seven days since the donor cow come on heat. And at that time, they should have somewhere between 126 and, and um, 128 and 256 cells in them. Now, not all those cells uh, remain alive as they divide. So they start off as a single cell uh, oocyte, gets fertilised, and they divide 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, etc. And now, along that way, sometimes some of those cells die, what we call extruded cells. Or, um, uh, and so... If, if, if the, the rules are that if he's an A-grade uh, or grade one embryo, then all the cells in that mass are, are alive. If he's uh, a grade two, then up to 15% of those cells can be extruded or, or dead. Um, and then between 50 and 85% uh, of extruded cells is a B. And then somewhere between uh, under 50% of, the, of all the cells are in the mass. Um, then, but there is still a def- definable mass. Then it becomes a, a C grade or a grade four. Yeah. So, and, and all that relates to 
is their ability to hold because uh, each cell has got to excrete a, 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 a protein to tell mum, tell the recipient cow not to cycle while I'm in here. Um, and the more cells there are, the more that protein is excreted. Uh, and so the more chances she has of recognising that there's an embryo in their uterus. Yeah. But once they, if they do hold, then they're perfectly normal, normal calves. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, and 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 for the other techniques that you uh, that you do in, in terms of your business, there you also do semen collection, semen testing. Can you explain how how that process actually works from from start to to end there? Um, and what is the actual process, and, and what are we looking for in that? Yeah, so if, if we divide that out, Sam, um, we got semen collection, and so semen collection is where you you've got your superior animal that you're a superior bull that you are trying to preserve semen out of um, to disseminate over many, many, many cows, um, and, and you know get greater greater. Um, infiltration of his genetics across the herd. So that, that involves um, collecting the semen, uh, then we dilute it out in, in uh, cryoprotectant media, usually an egg yolk based media, not always, but uh, often an egg yolk based media that has a cryoprotectant and that's glycerol in it. Um, we dilute it out and freeze that um, those straws, uh, that semen in, in quarter mil straws. At the end of the day, we want somewhere between 8 and 10 million live normal sperm cells in each straw. So that's the, that's the uh, inseminate that we would put in, the, in, the, uh, in your cow when she's on heat. Uh, that, that's yep. a, a very, very common thing. It's been, been around for many years, uh, more, than, more than 40 years, 40, 50 years. Uh, and, you know, is, is an excellent way of disseminating the genetics of a superior bull. Embryo transfer and IVF uh, try and increase the, um, the penetration or genetic penetration of the superior cow. But the AI does that for the bull. On the semen um, uh, um, testing side, we, we just take a sample out of the bull. Uh, I do it by a palpation. It's a manual palpation. Uh, a lot of people do it by electroejaculation, and some do it by uh, art, um, artificial vagina, the collection of the semen. And all we do there is look at the at the progressive motility, so the the uh, amount of the number of sperm cells in the or percentage of sperm cells that are swimming in the ejaculate, and also commonly and increasingly so, we take a morphology sample as well, send that to the lab, where they will. Um, um, blow those those sperm cells up, uh, examine them at a thousand power, um, and examine the morphology of the sperm cell. So we know whether he's normal, whether his tail's right, whether he's got proximal droplets or vacuoles in his head or whatever. And so um, that, that's that's our assessment, trying to determine if this bull, often prior to sale or or going out prior to mating, whether that bull's capable capable of doing his job. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the goal anyway. Said, um, you're talking there about a lot of that AI stuff. Maybe can you um, turn the clock back a bit, like we did with ET, and speak to maybe some of the vials. Um, you know, they're they're a pretty uncommon thing to see now, but you know, semen wasn't always stored in nice little little straws. No. No, it, it wasn't. It was originally uh, frozen in glass ampules, um, and, and a lot of sheep semen is actually still frozen there. So I understand it. Not that I know much about sheep reproduction anymore, but it used to be uh, quite common for sheep, and and was, as you say, correctly say, Jack, it was used in in bulls as well, um, and. It just meant that we thawed the semen out of those vials and then sucked, uh, thawed the semen in the vial, cracked the top off the vial, and then sucked that into a pipette uh, to, to um, put in the cow. Very, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. it. It worked fine. It was a very good option uh, in those days. Um, cumbersome, we would think now, and certainly not user friendly as, as the quarter mil or half mil straw. But um, it. Uh, it served its purpose in the in the early days, back in the forties and fifties. Yeah, that's what it did. Yep. Sure, sure. No, that um, that's all all in, in interesting, and you know, it said a lot of the future of a lot of these reproductive tech, techniques have obviously come from a lot of research and development. Where do you see the future of all this stuff going? Because to be 
um, somewhat snide about it. There hasn't been probably a whole lot of uh, improvements in terms of AI and maybe ET technology in terms of the equipment using and and to be quite frank about it results haven't really shifted that dramatically over the last 15 to 20 years they haven't haven't shifted one iota (laughs) we haven't changed the thing jack you're dead right (laughs) and what we have done of course is 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 to make it um uh, less labour intensive and more efficient as far as uh, numbers that we can do in a day, I guess. Uh, and uh, but we have not changed the results. You know, in, in embryo transfer, for example, um, we're still getting the uh, five to six viable embryos uh, per flush. Uh, you know, we're still getting that 70 percent uh, average range, and that varies from bloody zero through to a hundred uh, pregnancy rate uh, on the other end. When when we first started out um, back in the eighties, you know, it was it was thought that we could do two donors. One man could do two donors a day because he get too tired to flush them um, any more than two. And we were transferring four embryos an hour. And as we all know now, it's not uncommon to flush ten or fifteen donors in a day and, and transfer a hundred embryos. That's um, that's the, where where we've got to now with. Um, just a few changes in in the in the mechanics, like having introducing an embryo filter into the system rather than having a, um, uh, a collecting the, the flush fluid into a graduated cylinder and waiting for half an hour for gravity to suck those eggs to the bottom. Those sorts of things have have, have um, made it quicker, but not in, not increased our results any. And, and we've got as far as doing the big numbers, you know, we've just got fitter at doing it. I guess you know, it's. Um, it's not rocket science, any of us technologies that we do, um, but it is. it does require a fair bit of um, job fitness, if you like. It's, it's tough enough on the arms to keep going and do it well. So certainly once, you, once your arms get tired and your fingers get tired, uh, you can't do a good job. And, and, um, and so you, you just got to be job fit to do it for a long time. Yep. And so is there, sure. is there an amount of um, like cattle that you guys can do in terms of maybe ET or AI? Uh, obviously, that directly relates to the, the Brisbane business and, and there's a lot of semen sales there that, that people are using that semen for AI directly, obviously. Is there a number there that uh, maybe is your record and, and what's normally a, a pretty standard uh, amount that you can actually cater for? Oh, Sam... Uh yeah, <laughs> these days um, most AI programs of any size, any AI are done by fixed time programs, and um, the, that that the window of of your of AI in those programs uh, can vary a little bit, but sort of you've got about a four hour, maybe a six hour window to get get your cattle done. Now, if you do sixty or seventy an hour. Uh, you, you've done very well and you need a good setup and good backyard men or people to bring them up and uh, good crushes, those sorts of things, you know. Um, and so if you, if you say that, right, we can do 200 in a session um, yep. and uh, roughly and we can do two sessions a day. So you could do 400 in, in a day. Um, I'm old and, and buggered now, but uh, Adam did, uh, <laughs> my son did, as, as you know, uh, over 600 little uh, yearling wagyu heifers uh, in one session. Uh, his, his arm was, was literally black at the, at the end of that day, but he got them done and got a good, good preg, preg rate as well. So uh, that that would be the record. I know it would be the toughest day I can imagine anyone doing, but uh, he got it done and got a good day and got a good result. But yeah, a couple of, couple of hundred per session and two sessions a day would be good going for a fixed time AI program. Yeah. Yeah. Said yep. you've mentioned you mentioned something there. I want to take a bit of a headfirst dive into fixed time AI. That's a term that mm-hmm. um, all three of us here on the podcast are pretty used to throwing around. But maybe can you yep. just talk us through what what a fixed time program is, and maybe how it how it actually all works, and maybe not. You know, we'll then maybe touch on individual programs and and the variation amongst programs. But you know, just a bit of a bird's eye view it and zero in on a few programs afterwards yeah uh, 
Yeah, that's fine, Jack. Mate, I guess for it, to understand fixed-time programs, we should go back and have a look at what we used to do years ago, which was um, originally, way back, it was just on natural heat detection. And so we, we, we used the uh, AMPM rule in that case, uh, where if they were on heat this morning, we AI'd them tonight, and if they were on heat tonight, we AI'd them in the morning. And that was all based around the, the optimal time for AI and cows anyway, at, at around that 16 to 18 hours. So it was assumed that if they, if we looked at them tonight and they weren't on heat, we got up in the morning and they are, we assumed they come on at midnight, so we do them the following afternoon. So that was your 18 hours and vice versa. So that that's where it started and, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. Then they come along prostaglandin, um, which was the only synchronisation drug we had for a long time uh, back in the 70s, um, which uh, you just give them the prostaglandin and they come on somewhere between three and five days later or two and a half and five days later. And it, it certainly shrunk down our, our um, period of heat detection and AI, um, but it still meant that we had to heat detect. So it was twice a day heat detection, uh, morning and night, see them on the morning, AI on the night, et cetera. You know, and that that lasted over three to four days probably. Uh, now we've got this fixed time programs come along where we where we have them run through the yards uh, anywhere from or two to three times. Anyway, um, use prostaglandin. I mean, progesterone inserts uh, combined with often estradiol or GnRH, whichever um, prostaglandin as well, and pull the cedar on day eight. Uh, or, or pull your progesterone device on day eight and um, AI on day ten. That's the deal. And you just AI the lot, um, and and it's done, done and dusted. As I said, usually got about a four hour window. So that that's that's been a great advance for um, doing big mobs um, of, of cattle where you haven't got the time to heat detect. You can't draft them off. You haven't got the pastures close to the yards that you can hold them for three to five days and pull off those that are on heat, etc. Um, so, and also means that you that you can afford to to um, fly in or, or transport in a, a technician for that time. Um, with the old heat detection programs, you you had to virtually had to do it yourself. Um, so that you know, if you saw a cow on this morning, you ate it tonight, but but uh, you couldn't couldn't afford to have somebody come a long distance to AI just a handful of cows and then come back tonight, etc. So this is this has been the biggest advance in in AI um, in in my lifetime for sure is this fixed time program. Now the 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 conception rates, in my opinion, are not as, as good. Never probably never will be uh, as good as a heat detected AI. But the the pregnancy rate on a mob is equal to fixed time AI, equal to heat detected AI, and simply because if you've got a hundred cows in the mob and you do a fixed time program on them, you will AI a hundred cows. Um, whereas if you were heat detecting, no matter how good your heat detection is, you would only pick up about eighty percent of those. Now your your conception rate per insemination in in those that are heat detected will be higher than than the AI um, in, in the fixed time program, but the number of calves or cows pregnant at the end of that time will be the same. Uh, and so for the convenience of being able to do them all at one time uh, and being able to afford to have a technician come out and do the job, you are paying for the drugs, um, but the end result is the same. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, so that, that's, that's a really that's good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point you make there, said um, about heat detection versus AI, and that's something I get asked um, quite quite a fair bit. And you know that that's a really really good point you make there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about at the end of the day, carbs carbs on the ground. So that's what we're worried about. Yeah. And um, the other, I want to sorry, Dan, I, I want to just yep. I was just going to say, Jack, in yep. there that um, that that one of the big. Uh, things that we have to look at in doing fixed time versus um, uh, heat detected AI is is the value of the semen. So if you're paying big bickies for the semen and you want, you're not necessarily wanting, uh, you know, as many cows in your herd pregnant as possible, but you want to maximise the conception rate of each 
cow that's your AI, because the semen is so expensive, then you want to go to heat uh, heat detected AI. If if the if the semen is a reasonable value and you can do the whole mob with that with that value of semen, then that's fixed time uh, heat detected AI. Ah, fixed time AI is is the way to go. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, sure. There, yeah. <laughs> You're all good. All good. Said. That's. This is what it's all about. Getting as much knowledge as as we can. Yeah. So no problems there. Um, I wanted to pick up on something you said there, and that was your AI. All of them. There's lots of people out there that'll say, "Oh, we only AI in a fixed time program." What sh- shows a sign of visible heat? I just want to get your thoughts on that, and just um, yeah, maybe unravel that conundrum a bit for some people. Yeah, and and I think that 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 is an individual decision that you would make, and based primarily on the value of the semen. So um, we do know that those that aren't showing heat, that haven't, uh, particularly with the um, the estradiol type programs, um, not so much with the the new one out, the the Cyprusin program or the DNRH program. But if you've got an estradiol type based program. Um, and they're not on heat, your conception rate on those that you inseminate that weren't on heat will not be as good as those that are. Uh, but it is not zero. Um, and so, um, you know, if the value of the semen is is not super high, uh, then sure, we, we've done all the program. We've got the technician here. The semen's not that expensive. We're going to get, uh, you know, a reasonable number of cars, even if it's not great. Um Let's just do it anyway. You know that, that's that's the whole idea of the fixed time program is to do the lot. Um, but you know, if the semen is very expensive, then I would either not uh, do those that are not standing, uh, as you say, a lot of people do, or use a, a lower valued semen. Yeah, that, that, that I think that yeah, you know, all these things to do with with AI programs, ET programs. There's no fixed rule. You. you Every day I go to, a, to do an embryo transfer program or an AI program or whatever, we sit down and have a yarn with the, with the producer to find out his goals, you know, um, uh, how we're going to attack this. You know, that, and that all those things come into play, the value of the cow that we're doing, the value of the semen that we're using or whatever. Um, these are all decisions, uh, well, um, components that go into making up the decision, making the decision. There's no no fixed rules. Yeah. And and said when you talk about conception rates, can you can you talk to us about an average? I know that uh, you have a pretty famous saying amongst all your clients, everyone that you service, that uh, some days you get rocks, some days you get diamonds. But can you tell us a bit yeah. of an average of conception rates on on AI, ET? Is there a bit of an average that you know the, the industry kind of works on there? That's kind of a, not an expectation, but a, a, a value of mm. value there of a percentage or something like that that we work towards. Yeah. We talk uh, fixed time AI programs to start with. Sam, I guess um, should be broken down into uh, certainly certainly into cows and heifers. Uh, cows fixed time AI program with nutrition rights, semen good, all those things uh, we should be looking at somewhere. I reckon in that sixty to sixty five percent is good. Anything above fifty is 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 acceptable. Um, in heifers, if you get fifty percent average, you're going well. In my, my opinion. Uh, if and then besides breaking them down in, into um, uh, parity of the, of the female, we should also break it in, into um, in, into breed. I think, and so we do find the Brahmin heifers are, are more difficult to get good results in. Brahmin cows seem to be fine. Uh, Brahmin heifers are tougher, and probably we, we comes back to you know that some of them aren't yet sexually mature, uh, and I know. Um, there's, there's talk in the science, scientific literature of going out to, to and pre-feeling those heifers to make sure that their uterine tract is fully developed before you start a program. But if we don't do that, which we often can't, maybe you know, Australia is unique in this because of the distances people have to travel. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, we just go into a blind and hope that they're all cycling that. And that may not always be the case, but in 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 Brahmin heifers, you know, I would think forty uh, percent would be a pretty good run. Yep. 
Yeah, and and is there any technologies that you see coming that possibly will increase that, whether it be within the semen space, whether it be within the programs and the drugs that are coming through, or or just any new technologies that you think possibly um, will will increase those conception rates? Oh, Sam, yeah, this is an old fellow talking, and uh, uh, and I would say no. The reason I say no <laughs> is that you know, you know. It's not because I, I got my head in the sand all the time and think only the good old days were good, but yeah, but but the, the the fact is that if you put a bull in a fertile bull with a fertile cow and he serves that cow once, uh, that will put him in with a hundred fertile cows uh, and and had fertile bulls with them on one cycle, they will get about sixty two thirds of the cows in calf on that one cycle. Uh, you know so. This is this is the best nature can do, and and I don't think we're going to improve on that. Uh, really, you know, it, it's it seems nonsensical to me that we can freeze semen at one hundred ninety six degrees below zero in in a toxic media um, and stretch it out to, to um, you know like getting effectively 100, 200, 500 straws out of a ejaculate that would normally go into the cow. So we, we diluted all that, that, diluted out that much. Then we then we freeze it at 196 degrees below zero in a toxic media, put that back in a cow and and think that we're going to get uh, better than, than, than the bull can do over that cow. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. We're doing as good as the bull can do over that cow, and I think that's um, that is, <laughs> that's, that's the biologic <laughs> ceiling, you know. It's just that's how it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and is there maybe Mate, a maybe process? I'm... No, you're right, Sam. Is there maybe a process that people should uh, should take after if they don't get that fifty percent that you talked about? And obviously, there's not a heap coming through that like you said that um, is going to improve that over time. But is there maybe a process mm-hmm. there that people should go back on if they're not getting the results they're uh, looking for? Is have you got maybe some tips there of the the uh, the the order you should go back and check different aspects of your AI program or, or your ET program to check whether mm-hmm. you know it's something there's a variable in there that they should be looking at higher. Well, I think so, Sam. This this applies to AI, ET, or IVF, or whatever. Anything you're doing with with reproduction, you know, we we need to you need to make sure that the cows are in good body condition and and not fat, but in good body condition to an after three probably. That the nutrition is is going to be maintained at least for the first two months after after either insemination or implantation of an embryo. Uh, we need to make sure the mineral balances are right, particularly the you know, the zinc, the selenium, the cobalt, the, the coppers, they need to be um, uh, under control or, or normal. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, and, and on the, on the, um, on the research side, on the embryo transfer side, the, the biggest, one of the biggest problems we have is using uh, rubbish recepts, you know, that are infertile recepts um, yep. that, that are, that have been bought out of, out of yards uh, and are only in the side yards because they're empty, prep checked empty or, in in the in the in the places a lot of places we work with big commercial herds they'll prep check all their cows get the empties and say oh they're you know these ten percent that were empty they're perfect recipes now because they're empty you know that's rubbish yeah. you know, you you got to get the most fertile cow you can get on the place uh, to make an embryo transfer program work well uh, and and a lot of that that's the same with with AI you know. In AI, of course, we, we've got the not only nutrition and the selection and management of, of your of your cows, but you know we need to make sure that the semen is good, uh, and that, that um, it probably should be checked before we start the program. Would be nice because uh, semen can be frozen, come out quite well frozen, but then in in the number of hands that it goes through to get to the farm, uh, it can be mishandled, and and the semen quality will go off. Um, so that needs to be checked. You know, it, this yep. it's just being organised, Sam, and having your, your your cows in the right condition, your semen there, semen available, yeah, yeah. And even even when you do everything right, you can still get stuff ups. You know, <laughs> so yeah. Mother Nature has, has, has a yeah, uh, it, it, it has a very very harsh hand on on you to to um, 
bring you down when you think you're going good. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, said we'll dive into our rapid fire questions. Um, now, these are questions that have uh-huh. come through to us um, to ask. Um, yes, no, simple answers are more than acceptable. But looking at a few of these questions, I, I do think um, yeah they might take a few minutes to answer. So we'll start um, with the first one. And the first question is, what's the best feed to have females in before ET or AI? Oh, um, Jack, I think uh, the best feed is is hate off grass. And, and we all know uh, when cows do the best and that, that's after the spring flush is gone, the hay starts to, to hay off a little. I mean, the grass starts to hay off a little bit and that's when the cows shine. That's their best. That's their absolute best. Uh, you can do that through um, hay. Um, silage is, is fine too, I think. Um but we, we need enough feed to maintain their body condition and score and try and avoid the really lush food, in my opinion. We're, we're, if, if you've got a, a cow that is um, uh, ha, has a nice cow pad in a faeces, uh, decent cow pad, not hitting the back gate, uh, that's ideal. Yeah. So. Sure. That, that, that's that's um, best I can do, mate. Yep. Yep. No, that's good, good answer. And that's both for AI and ET, for your donors as well? AI and, AI and ET, same, same. Same, same, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. And, and should it be consistent, yep. Seth, or should it be like your, your feed quality that your cattle are on, should it be pretty consistent through the whole thing? Oh, either consistent or going up, Sam. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the worst thing we can have in either program, but AI, ET, IVF or whatever, is to have the cows lose weight after whatever procedure you've done. That that you cannot tolerate. That will lose that will lose embryos or um, drop your pregnancy rate. But you can either maintain them if they're in good order or um, keep them going up it, it is fine. Uh, that that's probably ideal. Yeah. But if they come in in condition score three three and a half and go back in that same paddock, that that's fine as long as they don't lose weight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's that's more. Uh, next. Next question said, should you test your bulls every year? I think it's a, a great idea uh, if, you, if you can, if they're close by. Um, and, you know, that doesn't really apply to the extensive herds. They're just too hard to get in. I think it's too much work to do that. But if you can, yes, uh, particularly, um, I think, looking at the physical structure of them. So make, make sure their feet are still good, that they haven't busted their pizzles, that they haven't been smashed uh, in, in the nuts, in the testicles, you know, so that they're mushy. Um, would be great to get a semen sample, but I think you would cull most of your culls, uh, m- most of your bad bulls by looking at the physical structure of them. And so my advice would be if you can do a semen test, great. Uh, if you can't, make sure you check all bulls uh, physically every year before they go out, uh, vaccinated for Vibrio, and I would like at least to do a semen test on them every couple of years uh, at, at the very minimum. Yep. Just to, to make sure, sure. They're, they're right before they go out. Yep. 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 No, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Um, this question sort of relates to the question previously. Uh, what's the right body condition to have cattle in for these reproductive techniques? Oh, good question. <laughs> I, I, I was only talking about this the other day. I went up to a, a, a veterinary conference in Darwin many, many, many years ago and uh, heard all the gurus talking. Um, and we had, you know, we got told that the minimum of two and, uh, body condition score two and a half for two to three months prior to calving so that they um, you know, don't, don't lose too much or don't crash after they calve. And then you want them two and a half to three condition score when you're AI or, or do your embryo transfer. So that's six months out of the year, you know, and, and so I come out of that talk, all, all, numerous talks all tell us the same thing, and I'm thinking that the ideal body condition score is two and a half to three for their lifetime. Now, that's, <laughs> that's, easy, that's easy to say on paper, hard to do, um, but uh, uh, I guess in, in, the, in the ideal world, it would be two and a half to three um, condition score would be my, my ideal animal, yeah. Um, I, I I don't like poor sure. cows, and I I also don't like over fat, particularly fat dry cows. They're a waste of time. Um, yep. in my opinion, yeah, yeah. I like active working cows. Yeah, yep. So yep. Sure, sure. Yep. Next 
Next question. Um, is there any difference between a quarter and a half cc straw in reproductive performance no, no, no. and results? No. No. Can you, it's, it's could, not the, do you mind, do you mind the explaining why? The straw, it, yeah, because it's the same, there's the same number of sperm cells, live normal sperm cells in each straw. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make any difference, you know. They're just more concentrated in the quarter mil straw, half mil straws. There's the same number of active sperm cells, alive normal sperm cells in each, in each, either way, quarter or half mil straw. The quarter mil straw just takes up twice as much room in the tank. That, that's the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, makes makes yeah, shipping yeah. semen around a little bit more challenging sometimes in large volumes. Yeah. Anyway, no, we're no, we're no. not going to get into that. Yeah, um, I think the whole next world question, shifting. Yeah, we're definitely yeah, seeing, um, just from my experience, we're seeing more, more and more uh, quarter CCs yeah, coming from North, North America um, yeah. where that, those half Cs are, are disappearing from North America. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. we'll move on to, to the next one, Sed. Um, uh-huh. What's better, IVF or conventional flushing? Oh, man, I don't think you can say what's better and what's worse. They've both got their place. So that, that's said in a very diplomatic way of like that's got his foot in both camps, isn't it? But, but uh, it, it, it's, very, it's very true. Um, you know, uh, IVF works extremely well in anything Boss Indicus, um, Brangus, Brahmins, Brangus, Sanders, droughties, it works very well. So the number of eggs we get per procedure, per pickup over and pickup in, in those breeds is is quite high and probably marginally higher than uh, in flushing. In the Bostaurus and um, dairy breeds, not so. You know, our numbers of viable embryos that we get uh, per procedure is lower. Uh, there's no, no risk about that. Unless we start treating them with uh, fertility drugs, uh, we can get up there. But um, under normal circumstances, one of, the, one of the beauties of IVF is that there's no drug treatment in the donor care. Um, and if we, if we don't treat them with, with uh, drugs, those Bostaurus and dairy breeds are behind in, in the number of embryos we collect per procedure. That said, uh, IVF can be done every two weeks, um, and so you can make up for those numbers. Uh, but it is makes it a pretty intense program when you start running donors every, through every two weeks, and doesn't suit everyone um, <coughs> just to be available there. And so that's the simple answer. And often a combination is quite fine. You know, we, we flush, do a normal embryo transfer flush on, on a cow every six weeks. I think most people are in that sort of category, six to eight weeks. Um, and you can do a pickup, an IVF pickup in the middle if you really want to maximise your production in a short period of time. Um, and so <clears throat> that's an advantage. Um, uh, well, you know, doing them both together um, probably gives you maximal results in those Bostaurus type cattle. Um, there's other pluses of, of IVF. Uh, one is that you can use one straw of semen on up to eight to ten donor cows. So those straws of semen that are selling for thousands of dollars, um, you know, you can't really justify doing an embryo transfer program or certainly not an AI program on using that, that value semen. Uh, so that's one, one good thing for IVF. The other good thing is it works very well with sex semen. Um, or uh, embryo transfer in heifers with sex semen doesn't seem to be too bad, but we're definitely back probably 20% uh, on the number of embryos collected per donor in cows using sex semen. But in IVF, it, it works just fine. So there's, there's pluses and there's minuses. IVF is much more labour-intensive, so it's, it's always going to be a little bit more expensive than embryo transfer. Um, and, yeah, so... Horses for courses, I guess, Jack. There's no no answer to say this is better than the other. One is better than the other, but um, yeah, sure. Again, again, it's sure. A, it's a conversation that you have with each producer, you know. So, what do you want to do? Yeah, yeah it's up to you. Yep. I'm going to hijack sure. Jack's uh, rapid fire questions and fire one at you, Seti. You uh, you yeah. just mentioned that you have a foot in both camps. <laughs> Uh, you uh-huh. don't personally perform IVF for anyone. Why is that? Oh, I found that. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that's very simple. I'm, I'm too old to, to learn uh, a new, pro, new, new technique. <laughs> but it, it, no, I, I'd love to learn it. I'm just too bloody busy doing what I'm doing. But it is, it is a neat technique, uh, but it does take uh, a lot of skills to be able to do pickups well. The open pickup, the photos that we've got employed doing that are highly skilled. I've uh, been training for a lot of years, and um, it, it's not – it's an easy thing to do uh, to get some oversights. It's a hard thing to do to get maximum number of oversights per pickup and do it cleanly so you've got no blood and no damage to the donor. And so, yep. uh, you know, I'm just busy doing what I'm doing and and haven't done it. But it's a neat technique and uh, something I would like to do when I retire. Have you ever tried? No, never even tried it. Never even tried. How bad's that? That's terrible. But um, yeah, just too busy. Yep. You do. Uh, you do. You actually uh, service people with IVF uh, within your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do a lot. Um, you know, uh, we're associated with IGT, and and they do a lot of IVF for us. We do a lot of the trans. Furring of, of the uh, resultant embryos from the IVF process, but I just don't do the pickups uh, on it. Yeah. But, but you know, we, we've got a lot of clients where I do do um, uh, embryo transfer program, and I get the boys to come and do a pickup program in a few weeks' time. Then I come back in six weeks and do another embryo transfer program, things like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it works well in, together. Uh, it's a it's a service that. The reason I got into the in, in with the company of IVF company IGT, uh, yep. it, it is the reason I got in there was to be able to say, well, you know, we're, we're a one stop shop. So, if you want to collect semen, we can collect semen. If you want to do embryo transfer, we do that. If you want to do IVF, we can do that. No, I'm not pushing either barrier. We, we just I just tell them the pros and cons of each procedure, just like I have told you now, and they make make up their own mind. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's as simple as that. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. throw it back to Jack. I'll, I'll stop yes. hijacking his uh, rapid-fire questions. Thank you, Jacko. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All good, Sam. Um, well, said. I've only got one rapid-fire question for you next, and um, this is always a bit of an interesting question we get asked, especially with expensive semen and half um, CC straws, and that is how many times can you use a straw of semen in AI? But also... Uh, what's the future of capitalising on one straw of semen with processes like IVF? Um, well, the, the you know the processes of IVF, as I just said, Jack, you know you can use that one straw over uh, eight to ten cows, depending on the number of oocytes each cow gives. But you can spread it out maximally at this stage through through IVF. Um, in AI, we we all know plenty of us and including yours truly is a tight ass, but you know, we, we split straws sometimes. Uh, now that, that can, that can uh, work, work fine. Uh, if, if the semen, if the straws are good, the semen quality is good. Uh, it can be a, it can really blow up in your face if it's not. So there's no really world standard um, for the number of live normal sperm cells that are in, in an inseminate. So in a, in a straw semen, we had half mil or quarter mil. Uh, we all like to think that it's around about eight to ten, but we know eight to ten million live normal sperm cells in that inseminate. But you know, some some labs will will pack that at twelve to fifteen. Some labs make that bloody you know, shit. I've seen it down to two, but you know, often it'll be five to six. And in the dairy dairy breeds, uh, that's that's quite common, and it, and it gives you good results. But when you get down those low numbers and you start trying to split stores, you're 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 really holding yourself out to dry in, a, in in some instances. You know, if they've got 10, 12, 14 million live sperm cells, which a lot of lot of straws will have, then you can get away with it. If they don't and they only got a few million, then you're going to crash. And so until you know that, they have that data in front of you, um, it's a risk to do so. Yeah. So um, sure. I would say it's not recommended. Um but uh, everybody does it with valuable semen, and fingers crossed. And if you haven't done any information on it, and you, and you get a shit result, don't come talk, talking to me. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That, that's that's a, a gamble you want you decided to take. It's as simple as that. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Sure. 
Well, Ted, yeah. you've been a really good sport here today answering all our questions, and we appreciate you jumping on the British uh, Exchange no. uh, podcast. It's really, um, really, we do appreciate you being on. We do have uh, one more question for you, which uh, we have at the end of every episode, <laughs> and that's our burning question, um, which is yeah. probably my favourite part of the uh, of the episode. Yeah. Today, said your burning question is: What is the most common mistake people make with artificial breeding, and what's the best way to avoid it? Ah, uh, Sam, that, that's uh, that's a good question for a burning question, <laughs> and I can answer that. The, the, I think the most common mistake is is not being bloody prepared. You know, just waking up one morning and think, "Oh shit, I'm going to do an AI program, I'm going to do an ET program, or anything." It doesn't matter. You know, and and don't get your ducks in a row. You 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 haven't got your cattle sorted. Maybe you're not. You haven't pre-checked your cows yet, so half the buggers are pregnant. When you start giving them prostaglandin injections, you get abortions. You haven't. You know, you've got your all your programs done, you spend a lot of money doing the programs uh, on drugs, and then, oh, shit, I forgot to get the semen here. I didn't get the semen checked. Uh, oh, shit, is my technician coming? Or, you know, just just be organised. Just get your ducks in a row before you start. Body condition score of your cattle is going to be right. Make sure they're empty before you start. Get your semen uh, organised so it's there in plenty of time. Make sure the liquid nitrogen tank's got nitrogen in it. Um, and just... Just be organised. That's that's the number one thing. Just sit down, uh, have a breakfast, and write it down in pen and paper. Have I got this done? What have I got to do? And tick the boxes, you know. Yeah. That's, no, that's that's, that's be very good advice. That's very good advice for anyone out there. <laughs> um, and, and we appreciate you jumping on the podcast, Ted. Thank you for your time. Thank you, no to Jack, for uh, co-hosting with me as well. Uh, I'm sure we'll catch no up with you again soon. Good on you, guys. No it's Thanks. a great pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Great Thanks, pleasure. Sam. Well, what an honour it is to talk to someone with the experience, the professionalism and the knowledge that Dr. Cedric Wise has. Uh, what an honour it is to have him on the podcast. And we're very thankful. I, can, I definitely can extend this on behalf of myself and, and my co-host, Jack, that... Uh, said jumps on and talk to us hopefully you guys got a lot out of that episode i think there's a lot of points in there about programs and about the reproduction systems within cattle that a lot of people can learn from and will take their programs forward so he's uh, he's led the way for nearly 43 years now in the uh, in a repro business and i don't think he's giving it up just yet he's got a lot left in the tank and we really appreciate said catching up with us there on the, on the breeder exchange podcast uh definitely an episode one that I will not forget. Um, we're also going to be jumping into another bull episode in two weeks' time, of course. And uh, I can tell you that the next bull we've been listening, the new side directory, the bridge next has been out, and a few people commented on some posts recently uh, asking for uh, a couple of different bulls. And one bull that stood out to us was Hoover about it. So that's definitely going to be the next one we jump into. So tune in in two weeks' time, guys. We're going to have uh, some international guests jumping back on with us again to talk all things Hoover about it and, and the program that uh, these people and where these bulls come from. So definitely tune in soon, guys, and we'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers.